Welcome, everybody, to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Coach TJ, Season 5, Episode number 13. I got another solo show for you today. But today we're going to be discussing creating a training environment that translates to competition. That's creating a training environment that translates to competition. Um, This is really being a hot topic in in basketball and, and in skill development. What can I do as a coach or as a trainer to help my players increase their skills, improve their abilities in a practice setting, but make sure it translates or transfers over into competition or into games? And, you know, this is a topic that's discussed, uh, you know, often on, on social media like Twitter and and you see coaches talk about it on YouTube with different video clips and you, you know, you could be on Instagram and hear coaches talking about it. You know, that's like the that's like the the big discussion It's, and I'm not going to say necessarily it's a debate. Um, you will hear some coaches talk about there is too much. There are too many drills that that don't transfer. And then you have some that just feel like they should only do drills that transfer or translate over to the game. Um, And I kind of ride the fence. Um, So I have five or six tips for you that we're going to discuss. But before we get to that, uh, I'm going to give you some other information about this topic that I think we should discuss. Then I'm going to get into my six tips. But um, make sure that that you, you stay with me through this. At the end of this show, I'm going to give some information about my book. I'm going to give some information about uh, where you can find me on social media and how to get in contact with me. Um, so y'all make sure to uh, to stay on through throughout this throughout this whole podcast episode. So my thoughts on this: how to translate what you do in practice over into a game, or into competition, or or you know into a into a game setting. So. Like I was saying, you have some people that feel like you should only do skills that are going to translate over into a game. Everything that you do should be game related. Then you have some trainers that feel like my job as a trainer is to only enhance your skills, is to make you a better ball handler, improve your footwork, improve your shooting improve your ability to to pass, improve your ability to finish at the rim, improve your ability to see the floor and and improve all these different skills and technique techniques. And then they feel like it's their team's coach's job to put you in a situation where you can apply those, those skills, right? They feel like what it is that they do uh, is not necessarily should be game related. They're not going to show you how to technically make a read coming off of a screen. They're not going to show you how to technically um, work a pick and roll. But what they're going to show you is they're going to show you skills that they feel like they will help you be more effective off a of pick and roll. But they're not going to say, OK, these are your reads off a of pick and roll. And then these are your players that, that you have on the floor with you. And this is how you make this pass to this player in this situation. So they're not going to do that. And when I sit there and I listen to uh, 
both sides of the argument. I think, number one, with me, what I like to do is instead of listening to argue, I listen to understand. And sometimes as adults, we don't do that. We don't want to listen to understand. We want to listen to just make an argument. And so both sides have a point. Okay. Both sides have a point. You know, I can understand the person that says, well, my job is just to enhance. Okay. And, and however they go about doing that, that's on them. But I get that. I understand that. I don't totally agree with it, but I understand it. And then you have the, the coach that says, well, no, I got to put this player in a situation that's going to help them get ready for the game. So they've practiced enough. And they've been in situations to where when they come off that screen, they understand what they're looking at. And I get that. Because you could be, you know, like with me, I know here in Arkansas, um, you know, there are a lot of skills trainers, but the players at the school level, they don't get skill development in their team practices. I would love for them to be able to, but they're just not going to get it. Um and it's not that the coaches don't want to do it. It's not that the coaches are lazy. It's just that they don't have the opportunities. You know, um, some coaches are very limited. There are some coaches that that coach seventh grade basketball, junior high basketball, and high school. They have to coach all three of those teams throughout the day. And some teams only get an hour to practice every day. Some teams get an hour and 15 but most of their attention is going to be going towards their varsity team, which, you know, it makes complete sense. So I think we have to listen to try to understand. And so what I try to do is I look at the, the coach that says, I'm not trying to do game stuff. I'm just trying to improve your skills. OK, that makes sense. And then the person over here that says they're just doing it to improve their games. OK, that makes sense. But I think you got to have a little bit of both. OK, there's going to be times when you're working with a player and you're and you're just trying to improve their skills. Then are going to be times when you're working with a player when you say, OK, I got to get you ready for competition. OK, and I've done both. I've done both. I've done it where I've just worked on the player's skills and I've done it where I, I mainly do um, game type situation type drills. And then I try to I try to mix the two together. And I think that's really the sweet spot. Can we can we work on the player's skills, but then at the same time, can we put them in a situation to where they can be ready for competition, right? So when doing this, we have to look at the different type of drills that we use. There are like these block or random drills, and I'm sure a lot of coaches, if you've been, if you've been coaching. And if you're on social media, I'm sure you've heard these terms before. You got your block drills, which is which is what I used to do a lot when I first started training. Block drills is just, okay, go to the corner. We're going to catch and shoot for 10 shots. Now go to the wing, 10 shots. Elbow, 10 shots. And all the way around the court. Or we may do the same move for a number of reps with the same finish. So they might dribble to the wing, cross over, go to the basket, shoot a layup. Come back, dribble to the wing, cross over, go to the basket, shoot a layup. They may do that three, four, five, six times. And then they may do a different change of direction, three, four, five, six times. And then another change of direction, three, four, five, six times. And here's the thing that I've come to realize. Um, there are players that I had that I can do that with, and they perform well in competition. 
Then I have players that I would do that same type of drills with, and it wouldn't translate or transfer over in the competition. So, coaches, we have to realize that every player that we coach, if you're a trainer, you have to definitely realize this, that every player that we coach is different. They all respond differently to instruction, to uh, our methods, to our, our mythologies, whatever it is that we do, they respond differently. So I had a I had a um, uh, some siblings I was working with a brother and a sister, and they were about the same age. Um, the brother I think was a year older, maybe two years older than the sister. And they both were in high school. The brother was just one year older. That's right, he was a year older, and they were in they were in high school. And so I remember asking them one day. I said, hey, if somebody came to your house, knocked on the door and said, hey, we're going to go play basketball at the local park or at the YMCA or whatever. I said, would would both of you go to the gym? And I said, before you answer, let me take a guess at this. And I pointed to the brother. I said, you would go. And I pointed to the sister and said, you wouldn't go. And they started laughing. And the sister was like, yep, yep, you're right. I wouldn't go. So this is important because. The brother that does that block training, okay, even though block training is not, it's been proven that it's not the best way um, to, to get a player ready for competition. But even if I did block training with that player, he would still see development, okay? he still see development. And with any player, he would see development. But here's the thing with him. I could show him a drill or I could show him a skill, and we can we can rep it out, rep it out, rep it out. But he's the type where he would take that skill and play a pickup game. And then he would try to apply that skill that we worked on within that pickup game. So even though he may not be getting that competition or that or that, you know, that time where I'm trying to translate it over to a game with him, with me, he's going to do that outside of practice with me. So if I'm practicing with the player for only an hour, but this other, but that player is also spending three, four, five hours a week playing pickup ball, or they're just playing basketball somewhere with, with some people and they're trying the things that we've been working on, they're going to get their game competition or they're going to get that, 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 uh, the ability to try to translate what they've learned and get them ready, get them, get themselves ready for competition. And I hope that makes sense. So I could take that that kid and say, "Hey, uh, let's do this technique ten times," and he'll do it ten times. I explain to him why we're doing it. I explain to him how to do it. I explain to him when to do it. I might even do a little guided defense to kind of let the the dots connect. And then the very next day, he could go to the gym and play two on two or three on three with his friends. And then he would try it. He'd be like, he'll come back the next week and say, Coach, man, I was playing and I tried that move we was working on and it worked. So I did it a couple times. So now he, now that he did it against live competition, you know, even though it's pickup ball, when he gets in the game with his team, he knows that he can do that move. But the sister, on the other hand, we could do it 10 times and she'd be like, okay. I got it. And she will show me that she can do it. Boom. I got it. I can do a little guided defense for a couple of reps. Boom. She got it. Then she'll come into a game and I'll say, 
oh, you had an opportunity to do this move or you should have went behind the back. Why didn't you do it? Oh, I was scared to do it. Or I didn't think about it. Or, you know, it was some type of an excuse or reason why she didn't do it. And then I kind of started realizing that if I'm working with a player and I'm doing block drills, but they're getting their own translation or transfer of those skills in pickup, or they're playing one-on-one with friends, two-on-two, three-on-three, or whatever it is, that can still transfer over to the game. But they have to get it some way at some point. So if you're doing training with a kid and they play a lot of pickup ball, and I know the, the thing now is they say the kids nowadays are not playing pickup. But if they if they are playing, then if you can if they're convinced that, hey, I'm gonna go out, oh, I like this, I'm gonna try this. We play pickup every three days, you know, we play pickup three days a week, or I'm going to the gym and I'm playing then it it can still help them. They can still translate to the game. But then those players that don't go and play pickup ball, that's when I realized I said, okay, I have got to make sure that they're getting some type of translation or transfer to the game because they're still scared to handle the ball. They 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 still scared to shoot a jump shot with someone flying at them or, you know, they they can't finish at the rim or they still can't pass or have the confidence to finish with their left hand. So you have these block drills that you could do. Okay. And I know I kind of went on a tangent on that. Uh, but then we have these random drills. And I and this is something I do more of. But let me go back real quick to block drills. When it comes to block drills, anytime you're doing skill development, it comes down to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. What do you want to accomplish with this player? If you want reps, if you want technique, then block drills is the way to go. But block drills does not necessarily mean that it's going to transfer into competition or into a game. It's really going to depend on that player that you're working with. Okay? So you can do block drills all day. A player can come in one day and shoot in from the corner or a certain spot on the floor and be 0 for 10. You can work with them on their shooting. A couple of weeks later, they could be 8 for 10 and continue to make 8 for 10. Playing their first game and not make a shot. And then you're back to square one, wondering why they're not able to perform like they are in practice. Because that's where I was years ago, trying to figure out, okay, this kid comes in and makes shots. Why are they not making them in a game? And, and I thought it was a confident thing, but it, it wasn't necessarily them. It was them, but it was them because of me, because of what I was doing. So I got to create an environment that helped them transfer their skills from the practice floor to competition. So block drills are just, we're going to do the same thing over and over and over again. I'm getting reps. That's what I tell players. We're getting reps. You know, this is what this is for. It's not going to necessarily translate over to the game, but we're getting reps. Okay. And you may see some success early, but it's not going to necessarily be sustained uh, over a long period of time, or it may not make it into competition. Now, random drills are a little bit different when it comes to... um, Random drills, that's going to be more of if we're doing a shooting drill, they might shoot at one spot, catch and shoot, move to another spot, catch and shoot, run to another spot, catch and shoot, 
Or it could be catch and shoot at one spot, run to another spot, catch, one dribble pull up. Run to another spot, two dribble pull up. Run to another spot, catch, make a move, change the direction, finish at the rim. Run to another spot, catch and shoot. And as a coach, you can do this different ways. You can throw it to them and give them signals, hand signals. You can throw it to them and give them commands. Um, you know, you can you can have them work on a certain certain move, a certain finish. So it's a number of different ways that you can do it because in practice, um, like I said, we want to try to mimic game situations as much as possible, even though I don't think it's possible. We want to try to the best we can, but it's really not possible. Um, so we want to try to make things a little more random. Okay, because here's something that I realize. When it comes to block drills, if a player is doing the same thing repeatedly for 10, 15, 16, 20, 25 reps, they go to autopilot. When they go to autopilot, they turn off their ability to focus and concentrate on what they're doing. They get into a routine. And at that point, they're not really paying attention to what they're doing. They're just getting through the drill. And that's what we don't want. We don't want the players to just get through the drill. So if we keep it a little more random, players have to really focus on what they're doing. They have to pay attention to what they're doing. They're a little more engaged. And it, and it really helps their psyche and it helps their abilities. Now, both random drills or block drills are great, but you have to know your place. Why am I using this drill? If a player comes to me and says, Coach, I am struggling with handling the ball versus pressure. If the first thing I do is give them two basketballs to work on stationary ball handling, I am not doing them any service. They're not going to get any better against pressure by being able to dribble two basketballs. Now, if I have a player come to me and I want to I want to strengthen their left and right hand, I want to strengthen their uh, hand-eye coordination, if I want them to learn how to get into a, a good athletic position, if I want them to be able to, you know, do some just some basic stationary ball handling drills with, with two balls, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time on it. I wouldn't spend 20, 30 minutes on stationary two-ball dribbling because what, what you got to realize is if I'm dribbling two basketballs, if today I can't dribble them at the same time, maybe next week I will. Now, my ability has gotten better. I've literally really learned the drill, um, but I haven't really translated that over into competition. Okay, so there are certain things that players have to learn um, to be able to take that to the next level. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the difference between block drills and random drills. And I and I say that because and that's important because we got to understand if we're trying to make a player better, if we're trying to get them better in competition, we have to understand the different types of drills what our goal is, and what it is that we're trying to accomplish. There may be days when a player just haven't been giving up a whole, getting up a lot of shots. You might want to come in and really focus on their, on their form. Hey, you know what? You know, you had a, you know, you played two nights ago. Uh, you really didn't get a chance to get up any shots yesterday. 
we're not going we just we're going we just going to get up shots so you might get the gun out or you might just make passes to him and it might just be catch and shoot you know hey i want you over there in the corner we're going to catch and shoot 10 we're going to go seven spots we're going to shoot some free throws go back through it again uh, shoot some more free throws and then we're going to do the same thing from the three point line you might do that and there's nothing wrong with that but you know you might have to do that uh, and it's also, again, it depends on the player. So if the player struggled in their last game, they missed some open shots, and you might say, man, this kid's head is down. I just got to get them to shooting and making some shots to get their confidence back. This ain't going to necessarily translate, but I'm playing the mind game with them. So they come in head down because they didn't make any shots. I'm going to just have you do some spot-up shooting, especially if it's like in season. We're just going to do some spot-up shooting. That's what I'm saying to myself. We're going to do a lot of spot-up shooting today. Let them see the ball go in. Let them see them see that they can make shots, get their confidence back up. And then when they go and play in their next game, even though we didn't do any game contested type shooting, they'll be like, you know, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for this game. Then they'll come back and hopefully, you know, they'll shoot the ball better. But sometimes we just have to do those type of things, Okay. So it depends on what we're trying to accomplish. All right. So I went through all that. I'm not going to hold you much longer. Um, So now I have six tips. Okay. Six tips on how you can create a a training environment that translates to competition. Okay. I'm going to go through these six tips. I'm not going to um, try to be too long-winded on these. All right. But I... This first one we pretty much have already talked about. We must know the difference between drills that enhance or improve skills versus drills that are more game-like. Okay, so we had we you know we talked about the block and random drills. So if I'm trying to enhance a player's skill or improve a player's skill, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to. I'm putting them in a situation that's going to translate into the game. So I may do a drill where a player is working on their footwork and we may be doing something with their feet that's going to improve their footwork, but it's not necessarily what they're going to be doing in the game. So if I was wanting to work on a player's footwork, that's going to translate over into a game. I may simulate them coming off a screen and working on catching the ball with their inside foot or catching it off a hop and getting up reps. Um, Or I may have them do that. So let me just share this with you. So if I'm working with a player on that, there are there are stages I can take the player through. And it all depends on, on this player's ability. I never break down a drill from the beginning and then work my way up. Not all the time. Sometimes it's throw them in the fire, see what they can do, see how they respond. And if you need to break it down, then you break it down. So... Let's say I'm working with a player cutting across the free throw line, catching on the inside foot, squaring up and shooting. If we're doing that shot and they're missing it and I see that they're missing it because their footwork is bad, then I give them that information. I give them that feedback. Um, But if they can make the correction themselves, we keep rolling. If they're still struggling with it, we break it down. Okay. So it might start with me making them a pass, catching, squaring up to shoot. Now, is that a game-like drill that could translate? Maybe, kind of, depends on who you ask. Um, if, they're in a, if this is a one-on-one session, 
We'll do that for a few reps. We'll do it from both sides. Then what I would do is I would throw it to them and I would stand in front of them. I have them run towards me. I would just bounce the ball. They get the ball and they square up and shoot. And what I would do is I would get a hand up. Now, I don't spend a lot of time on this part, but they would give me anywhere from three to five makes, okay, depending on the depending on the, on, on their ability, their age, and, and everything. Uh, then after that, what I would do is, as they would come up, I would throw them the ball, and then they would make a read. And I would say, if I'm arm's length away from you, I want you to drive it. If I'm more than arm's length away, I want you to catch and shoot. But we're thinking catch and shoot. So that's kind of how I progress, or, or how I would progress. Um if it's a player that does really good at reading, knowing when to shoot, knowing when to drive, knowing when to pass, I might not stand in front of them, but I might throw it and we'll do a rep or two, catch and shoot, give them some makes. Then the other, next time it may be catch and drive, maybe some type of finish, but it may be a random type of shot. So it may be catch and shoot, catch one dribble shot. Uh, catch and rip one dribble shot, catch and rip one dribble, step back and shoot. Uh, it may be catch one dribble, pump fake and shoot. You know, it's just a number of different things that we could do. Uh, so it, it you got to know the difference between drills that enhance versus drills that are more game-like. And I feel like you should have a mixture of the two, okay? All right, so number two, mimic game situations. So how do you mimic game situations you want to think about certain situations that a player can be in and then you want to work on that particular situation and this could be anything from as simple as a uh, action that a player could go through through their offense that you want to mimic it could be uh, a player driving and two players collapsing and they in their retreat dribble and then they're making a move and, and attacking the rim um, this could be uh, a read off a screen. This could be pick and roll play. Anything that you feel like that, that they might face in a game, you want to try to mimic that in your skill session. So if you're a parent, and, and this is really, really big for parents, and this is something that, I, that I'm, I'm really wanting parents to understand, and even skill coaches that are out there. I know it's great to go on YouTube and look at drills, and say, oh, man, this is what the University of Kentucky does with their guards. I'm going to take these drills, and I'm going to have my son or my daughter do them. That's cool. That's great. That's all right. But you have to understand, a lot of times, these bigger programs like Kentucky and Duke and Arkansas and all these different places, they have their place for their enhancement, but then they also have their place for this is what we need our guards to be able to do. I need my guards to be able to make this type of shot. I need my guards to be able to make this type of read because a lot of times it comes down to what they're doing in their offense and in their system. So when you're looking at a drill, you have to understand what it is that that coach is trying to accomplish. So if you want, if your son or daughter is having a hard time translating or transferring skills from practice to a game, you may have to really look at what you're having them do and make them do more game-like situations, okay? So you want to try to mimic game situations. All right, number three, uh, here are six tips that's going to help you create a, 
a training environment that translates to competition. Number three, there's got to be some type of decision making. Okay, I tell my players all the time. All right, y'all, I understand. I'm I'm taking a decision out for you. You're not even having to make a decision. I'm throwing it to you. You know you're going to shoot. Or you've got the ball. You know you're going to drive and shoot a layup. I'm taking the decision out. But eventually, we work back to where they have to make the decision. Because we have to understand what I want players to do is I want them, when they are in a game, to be able to just play. Not think, not pray, not hope, not wish. Just play and react. I want them to force the defense when we're talking about offense. I want the I want the defense to have to to really react. When I see that you're closing out on me, I'm catching and shooting. If you're close enough, I'm gonna catch and drive. If you're too close and I can't drive, or or if I feel like I can't beat you off the dribble, I'm gonna make the pass. And I'm just I'm just playing freely. Uh, but there has to be some type of decision making. All right, am I supposed to drive it? Now, once I drive it, now I got to make another decision. Okay, there are, there are constantly different decisions that has to be made. On the catch, what am I going to do? I can only do three things. Dribble, pass, or shoot. If I shoot it, not, if I decide to shoot it, then it means I have to be open. Right? If I'm not open to shoot, now I have two decisions to make. Do I pass it or do I drive it? Okay. If I don't have a shot, if I don't have anybody that's open, then I got to dribble it, right? Hopefully, we're dribbling or driving it towards the basket to make a play. But when I drive it, I got to make another decision. Do I pass it or do I shoot it? If I don't have a shot yet, if I can't pass anybody yet, now I got to read my defender. Do I need to change direction or do I keep going? And then if I get ready to finish, what type of finish is best for this situation? So there are always some type of decision. And if you can put your player in a situation where they where they uh, are in a, in a game-like situation and they have to make a decision, those type of sessions are going to transfer or translate to competition better than it would be if you just have them do a bunch of reps over and over again. Okay. All right, so number four, there's got to be some form of competition. There's got to be some form of competition. Now, I know this is easier if you've got a group. If You can do two-on-two, four-on-three, uh, three-on-three. Um, you can do two-on-three, two-on-one, one-on-two, uh, three-on-one, one-on-three. Whatever it is that you want to do, there's got to be some type of competition. Now, if I'm working with a player in a one-on-one setting, I do have a few players that I end up, I end the session with where we play one-on-one. I have a young lady that's in seventh grade. Um, about a year ago, um, we decided to play one-on-one. We were playing. It wasn't going real well. The session was going okay, but she was just really overthinking too much. So that was one of the best decisions that I made was for her to start playing me one-on-one. And it started out with me playing like guided defense. Like, I'm not going to really play defense. And now that she's in seventh grade, you know, I gotta. I can't just let her do what she want. You know, if I ain't careful, she'll mess around and beat me because we play 21. So, and I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me talk about that before. But there has to be some form of competition. You know, if you're in a one-on-one setting, then the competition may be within that drill. That competition may be the pressure to complete that drill within a certain time frame. The pressure 
from that drill could be to complete that drill by making so many shots. You got to make so many in a row. Um, you know, so you got to make so many shots from so many different spots. So it just is, you got to have some type of competition uh, to really get the players to focus, to really engage them, to get them to pay attention to what they're doing, because that can help translate over to the game. All right, so we're talking about uh, creating a training environment that translates to competition. Real quick, number one, must know the difference. As a coach, you must know the difference between drills that enhance or improve versus drills that are more game-like. Number two, you got to mimic game situations. Number three, there has to be some form of decision-making. Number four, some form of competition. All right, and number five, the easiest thing that you can do is add a defender. If you want to help a kid translate their skills or transfer skills from the game, from practice to a game, add a defender. And one of the best things that I feel like you can do to help a player's ball handling is add a defender. You can do all the stationary one-ball drills, all the tennis ball drills, all the two-ball drills. Um, you can move, you can dribble two balls in all type of ways up and down the court. It looks good. It looks great. Will you improve your handle? Yes. Will you get quicker? Yes. Will you add ambidextry? Yes. Will you uh, slowly start to eliminate a weak hand? Yes. But doing that has nothing to do with that athletic player that's all in your airspace and they're picking you up 94 feet. So we have to add a defender. At some point, you can add a defender. I had a, a session yesterday with three seventh grade boys. They play on the same uh, seventh grade team. And we did one on air drill where they do a drill I call three player, two ball shooting. They have two basketballs. We start out with two players on the perimeter, one player with a ball, the other player without a ball. Then the third player is underneath the basket and he makes a pass. And you shoot. You get your rebound. I can't even remember where I got this drill from. I, I either got it from one of three. I think I might have got it. I think I might have saw saw it on Breakthrough Basketball. I think I saw it on their website, either YouTube, or I either got it from Chris Oliver or Brian McCormick. One of those three. Um, I can't remember where I saw it. But anyway, um, I love that drill because they shoot from different spots. They're random shots, and there's so many different things that we can do off of that. And so, but anyway, we started with that drill, and then we went to a uh, one-on-two shooting drill, a two-on-one shooting drill, where we had two players spotted up in different spots of the floor. Let's say the elbow and corner had a player underneath the basket. The player underneath the basket would make a pass out to one of the perimeter players, and he would close out. If the player that caught the ball, if they were open, they shot it. If they couldn't shoot it, they make the extra pass, and then that player has to be ready to shoot because that defender can also close out on them. Um, if you shot it, you go get your rebound, and we just kept it going for two minutes. And uh, they were getting a lot of shots. A lot of shots were contested. Some shots were blocked. Uh, they got their heart rate up. They were breathing a little heavy. And we did that from different spots on the floor. We did some uh, two-on-one drills. We did some one-on-one. And then I had a private one-on-one session come in at the end of their session, um, because they were because I was supposed to meet with this this one particular player who was also in seventh grade, um, after their session. So I asked those three kids to stay for an extra 10 minutes and they did two on two. And so the kid that had come in needed to work on some things. 
And those other three players continue, need to continue to work on some things. So we did two on two, and they were hitting contested shots. So I thought back to, to the drills that we had done earlier in the practice, in the training session. I said, okay, it's translating over. We're playing two on two. They're driving and kicking. The guy's spotted up. He's shooting the ball. Defender's closing out. He's putting the hand up, but they're still able to make the shot. And so that's a perfect example of a drill that you do that's enhancing skill, but it's also preparing a player for competition. And then when they get into competition, it translates over. Okay. So anytime you can add a defender is always great. All right, number six. This is like a bonus, but I think this is very important. Allow players to use imagination and be creative, okay? You know, you see now players are, you know, shooting layups and they're putting, oh, they be like, oh, I'm going to put this jelly on it, put, you know, and they spin it all different ways and do all these crazy type layups. Or you might see James Harden, you know, uh, you know, shooting around and he may take the ball around his back and spin on one foot and jump off one leg and shoot the ball and make it, you know. I'm not saying that a player should do that, but allow the player to be creative. Allow them to use their imagination. So sometimes I tell the players, hey, you're going to cut from the corner to the wing. I'm going to throw it to you and you just make a move. Just whatever you want to do. As long as it's game, like do whatever you want to do. So if you want to go hard left and fake a spin and do it up and under and float it, do it. If you want to attack hard right and do it reverse, do it. If you want to catch and shoot the three, do it. If you want to do a step back three, do it. You know, just use your imagination because I'm doing a couple of different things. Number one, the player has to be able to think for themselves. I shouldn't have to tell them every little thing to do. I want them to think for themselves. Use your imagination. If you drive right, imagine that player cutting you off and you got to change direction. Imagine you being guarding and you got to make a double move into a finish. You know, so I tell them all the time, just try something. Just try it and see what happens. Don't worry so much about the outcome. Don't worry so much about if you make it. Um, I just want it to be something that you can actually do in a game, but use your imagination. Because a lot of times when we're in games, we use our imagination. Right. We drive to the left, defender cuts us off and boom, we just do something. That's what the players have to be able to do, too. So um, the last one, I I don't really know how much that was going to help translate over to the game or competition. But I just try to make them think on their own, use their imagination and and try to be creative. Okay. All right. So I'm going to wrap this thing up. Again, creating a training environment that translates to competition. We talked about the difference between block drills and random drills. Um, and then I gave you six tips. And let's go through those six tips again. Must know the difference between drills that, that enhance or improve skills versus drills that are more game-like. I do believe you need a mixture of both. Okay? I do believe you need a mixture of both. So you have to make sure that your players are getting their skills improved, but at the same time, you put them in drills that that are game-like, okay? Number two, you got to mimic got to mimic game situations. Uh, in those game situations, could be a number of different things, whether it's a certain action like a pick and roll, dribble handoff, 
Uh, you know, it could be horns action. It could be pin downs. It could be a number of different things, but try to mimic some of those game situations. Number three, there must be some type of decision making. If you are taking out the decision for the player, they're going to struggle in games because they're going to be trained and conditioned to not think and be able to make decisions. So when they get in the game, they're not going to be able to make those decisions. And that's one of the biggest things when it comes to shooting. I'm, I'm telling you, one of the biggest things when it comes to shooting is not necessarily the player can't shoot. They don't have the ability to shoot, but they're hesitant or they don't know when to shoot. And so we got to make sure that they can make decisions. So number four, um, some form of competition. There has to be some form of competition uh, among the players in the group setting or even if it's in a one-on-one setting, they got to have some type of competition uh, to allow them to be able to mimic the game situations or to allow to, or what it is that they're doing to translate over into a uh, competition. Number five, one of the easiest things you can do is add a defender. So whether it's just ball handling, doing some one-on-one against a defender or one-on-two versus a defender, or if it's attacking from the high post one-on-one or, or playing one-on-one transition, a number of different things you could do, but you want to add a defender. And then number six, allow players to be, creative and use their imagination. I, I really think that helps them when they're in competition to be able to uh, really think some things through and, and try to finish different ways at the rim or whether it's a certain pass or, you know, um, a number of different things. And and there's a there are some other things we could have discussed, I think, you know, real quick that you can't give them all the answers. Uh, you know, you can ask them questions. You can lead them to the answer, but they ultimately have to figure some things out themselves. Um, another thing that I like to do is let my players play through mistakes. I have too many. I've had players in the past that would mess up and they pick the ball up, throw it back to me, and start over. And I tell them, "No, we're not doing that. Play through your mistakes. If you're in the game and you lose control of the ball, you're not going to pick it up, throw it to the ref, and then say, "All right, let's check up." You've got to learn to play through that mistake. So I think that's that's important too. And that's that's not something you hear a lot of coaches talking about. But sometimes you got to let them play through their mistakes. Tell them, look, if you lose control of the ball, don't pick it up. Regain your dribble, and then continue whatever it is I'm asking you to do. So those are my tips. Um, before I let y'all go, real quick, um, I got about two and a half minutes left because um, I wanted to keep this thing under forty five minutes. So my book website. So um, I have a book that was released uh, January of last year, and it's on skill development. Uh, it's 10 chapters. It's 80, 81, 82 pages, some, somewhere around in there. And it just talks about the process of skill development. It's not a drill book. You're not going to purchase it or download it and see all these different drills. And it's not going to take you through a curriculum and say, okay, this is the drill you do for these kids. And then they once they learn this, you go to that. This is really talking about some things that you don't really see on the internet or hear coaches talking about. And that's the process, uh, terms and, and that you need to understand how to, how to, uh, find drills. So it gives you a lot of information. Um, and it really doesn't matter if you're a beginner, if you're a beginner it's great for you because it gives you a lot of information on skill development. If you're a coach that have coached for a number of years, if you're an experienced coach, it's still good because it's something that can be refreshing that makes you, you know, kind of, you know, it's like a checklist. Like, okay, yep, I still do this. Yep, you know, this is good. This is good. So um, 
If you go to my website, tjonesfirm.com forward slash SDP hyphen book, you can see all these different um, information on the book. And also I had, you know, Don Showalter gave me, um, you know, a testimony on the book. Um, there were some other college coaches, Brandon Rosenthal, who who was uh, coaching in college division one coach, former NBA coach. He read the book, gave me a testimonial. So y'all check it out. Let me know what you think. Um, so it's a really good book. You can find it on my website. It's $9.99 for the PDF. It's $3.95 for, no, I'm sorry. It's $9.99 for the paperback. It's $3.95 for the PDF. <laughs> if you purchase it on Amazon, if you type in the skill development playbook, it'll pop up. It's $9.99 for the uh, paperback and it's $3.99 for the, uh, Kindle version. Okay. All right, and also I had some purchases last week, so I appreciate those that purchased the book. Um, if you happen to be listening to the show and you purchased the book, you know, let me know what you think. Uh, email me, info at tjonesfirm.com. I, I would love to hear what you got to say about the book. Um, also, if you purchased the book, there is a free online course that goes with the book, and I think it's it's around three hours total. Um you know, you'll get an email for like five days, six days, and uh, it'll give you some information and talk about some things that's in the book, a little more detail, but uh, it's a completely free online course. If you don't have the book, but you want to access, if you want access to that, send me a direct message on my social media or send me an email at info at tjonesfirm.com, and I can send you the link to be able to uh, to opt into that. Last thing, social media. I am on Twitter and Instagram at NBNBball. Be sure to follow me. I try to put a lot of stuff on, especially on Instagram and, and trying to be a little more active on Twitter, engaging in some conversations with some other coaches. It's a lot of great feedback and information on Twitter. Um, so if you're not on Twitter, I think you're really missing out because there's some great coaches and they have great questions and dialogue and we have conversations, adult conversations about different things in basketball. And it's not one of those things. Guys, you know, everybody has an opinion. Everybody thinks, you know, they stuff don't stink. Everybody thinks that, that, you know, they got the holy grail of coaching or skill development, but that's not true. Everybody, we're not, we're not doing anything that hasn't been done, okay? People started coaching and teaching the Euro step. Jordan did the Euro step like in 84. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, I saw a video... Uh, shout out to my guy Mark Williams with Team Footprints. He made a video. He showed a video of John Starks making a move, and uh, it was sort of like a like a step back type move. I think he went between the legs and he did a little. I can't remember what it was that he did, but anyway, it's a move that a lot of trainers teach now, and they make it sound. Like it's something new and they put these different terms and words on it and titles and all that stuff. But John Starks did it in the nineties. And I know when, when I, when I worked on something, we didn't have crazy name. We just, we just went out there and tried to do what Jordan did. You know, we didn't call it the hip swivel shimmy and, and I'm cool with that. I mean, if you, if you got to come up with a name, that's, that's fine. I don't have no issues with that, but I just want people to know we're not reinventing the wheel. Okay, a lot of stuff that is being done is just being done again, but uh, it's being taught in a different way. So 
Um, and part of that has to do with we got technology and and there are more skills trainers now and kids are watching players. Oh, this player did such and such. I want to better do that move. So they call it the James Harden such and such. But James Harden probably saw somebody else do it before him. So, you know, we just continue to do these same things. Uh, and also the last thing, just, you know, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, you just look me up, TJ Jones. Uh, I connect with different people on there. So, and that is it. Uh, went over my time. I apologize, but uh, I appreciate y'all listening. Uh, be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast. I'm starting to get more downloads. I really appreciate that. Let people know if this podcast you think can help them, share it with them, put it on social media, put it on Twitter, put it on Instagram. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, until next time, thank y'all. God bless.